0: Well, listen, for us older ones, while the kids are working on their sheets, if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great if you could turn to the book of Luke and uh, Luke chapter 14, because we are starting the first of five sessions just looking at the theme and the topic of discipleship. So now for the next five weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at and digging into. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn there. We're going to read. Uh, from verse 25 through to the end and it basically says these words. It actually in the NIV starts it off with the cost of discipleship. So today we're looking at the cost, the call really of discipleship. Read with me verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As we come into this chapter of Luke 14, at the beginning verses, verses 1 through 24, Jesus has spent those 24 verses in the home of a prominent Pharisee meeting with the experts of the law. He sat down and he's had a dinner with them. But during that dinner, he pointedly talked to them and spoke to them about humility. Because while he was at that dinner, he saw men fighting for the seat of honor. And he encouraged these men, take the lowest place. Don't go fighting for the place of honor. Take the lowest place. Be humble. He recognized that the host had invited all of his friends. So he he challenged his host. Listen, don't invite those that you know that could repay you back. Actually, be humble. Invite those who are poor, those who are crippled, those who are lame, those who are blind. Bring those guys in. Then you will be repaid at the resurrection. Be humble. Don't just look out for those that will look after you. Give to those who can't even pay you back. Finally, he teaches about the feast at the end of all time, the feast in the eternal kingdom of God. And he just warns these Pharisees, he he just warns them in a parable and just says, listen, some of you, you think you're gonna be there by right of being a Jew and a Pharisee, but you're not gonna make it. As a matter of fact, there'll be ones that you don't think are gonna make it, that they will be there. And so Jesus uses this very pertinent feast to really talk to something and a real pointed message at who they were that takes us into verse 25 of Luke 14 Jesus now is with a very different crowd he's no longer with the Pharisees but at verse 25 says large crowds were traveling with Jesus Jesus is now on the road and he's traveling with a mixed bunch of followers Some of them were sincere, some were just there perhaps to hear what he was teaching about. We don't know, but it was very mixed. What does Jesus do? Jesus took this time to pointedly teach those that were following him. And he teaches about discipleship, a very pointed message for the crowds and perhaps a very pointed message even for us today. You see one of the things that has been challenging me just reading this is that we we talk about God's unconditional love and He is a God who loves us unconditionally. He loves us when we're good, when we're bad, whether we're good, whether we're evil. He loves the righteous and the unrighteous. His nature of love means that He's unconditional in that. God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous with rain. God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous with the breath of life. God blesses the righteous and the unrighteous with gifts and talents and abilities. But the thing I wrestle with is yes God has got unconditional love, however when He comes to calling people to discipleship, I don't think that He's unconditional in that his true followers, his righteous ones, his chosen ones, with them he says, guess what? I think there are a few conditions that you guys need to follow. In other words, while the call of salvation is unconditional, it's offered freely regardless of our past, it's offered freely through mercy and grace to every single one of us. It seems to me, and I wrestle with this, is that the invitation to and through the life of salvation To live as Jesus' disciples, it's not unconditional. It has some conditions upon it. It's a bit like the day when I said I do, just to Debbie, just over there. Unconditional love, although we all know as men and women, our love is a bit conditional at times because we're all selfish beings, isn't it? But as best we can, we try to love unconditionally. But at the same time, I made some promises. I made some vows. I said to Debbie, there are some things I will do. There are some things I won't do as part of that covenant. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here as he addresses the crowd. Listen, if you're coming to follow me as my disciples, there are some things in this covenant that are unconditional that you are going to have to follow. Did you know that three times in that passage, Jesus stated He cannot be my disciple. That implies to me that perhaps there are some conditions there. John MacArthur calls it this way, it's the extreme nature of true discipleship, the extreme nature of true discipleship. So what are some of those conditions? What are some of those things that Jesus asks of us to be his disciples? The first is this. The first is that Christ is preeminent in our love. Christ has the first of our affection. Verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is essentially saying that our love for him must must surpass all love for others. Our love for our spouses, our love for our children, our love for our family. Did you get that middle part there? Even our love for our own selves. That's a massive, massive challenge for every single one of us, isn't it? Jesus is not using the term hate here in a literal manner. He's using it in a comparative manner. He's using it to shock his listeners, to get their attention once again. Because we all know, and Jesus would never teach that we are to literally hate our spouse, our kids, our family, or anybody really for that matter. Jesus says, listen, even your enemy, you are to love them. But Jesus phrasing it this way in comparative language, that comparison forces us to understand that Jesus is calling us to a deeper, greater, more intimate type of love for Him over and above anything else. He must take priority in our lives. And that actually makes sense, doesn't it? Because if Jesus was going to give his life up for us, shouldn't we then love him back above all things? So perhaps that first condition we need to recognize is we must love him first and foremost. Christ must be preeminent in our love, preeminent in our affections. The second condition, that I think we need to wrestle with then is that we must see Christ as preeminent in our life in our life choices and our life activities and the things that we do. Verse 27 says and if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. There is a sense in which the call of Christ is to die to self, is to die to our wills, it's to die to our ambitions, it's to die to our desires, so that we are free to do what He desires. Now listen, all of us have ambitions, all of us have desires, all of us have dreams, don't we? We all want certain things and God gives us gifts and talents and abilities. But I think what Christ is saying here is, listen, it's good to have those things, but they must always be subject to Him. Because sometimes God might ask you to do something that you don't feel called to, equipped for, that you don't feel ready for, you don't feel like perhaps might be the right direction, but he calls us to obey. Jesus even said it himself, didn't he, throughout his life. his, His prayer was, Father, not my will, but your will be done. It was a life completely given over in sacrifice to paint this picture further, Jesus gives the illustration of a person about to die on a cross he 's carrying the, the 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 cross part of the cross onto where he 's about to be executed, something that Jesus himself knew that was going to be before him before too long. Again, it was to shock his audience. take up your cross would have been very shocking to them because it basically was it was say pick up. That mechanism by which you are going to die. Challenging thought, isn't it? David Guzik puts it this way. The one carrying a cross essentially walked down death's row to their place of execution. They knew there was no turning back and it was a total, complete commitment. Your life was completely yielded. He goes on to say, We can give the impression sometimes that coming to Jesus is only about believing in facts. No not at all. It's about yielding your whole life. Tozer puts it like this, the man on the cross is facing only in one direction. He's not going back. He has no further plans of his own. Great, great challenge to pick up your cross and to follow These words in verse 27 are recorded in three other places of scripture with a little bit more words around them to to emphasize in Matthew 16, Mark 8, and then again in Luke, Luke chapter 9. Let me read those verses for us. Luke chapter 9, 23 through 25 says this, And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, which we just looked a little bit about, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Losing our lives actually ends up in us saving it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The call to being a disciple of Christ then is a willingness to lose everything on earth in order to gain everything in heaven. Over the next few verses, then, as you go through Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus paints the cost, perhaps, of what it is to be a bit of disciple. And he uses actually two metaphors. Then in essence, he's saying, hey, guys, again, don't, remember, don't forget, he's talking to the crowd, a mixed crowd, following as he's journeying down the road. Hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to live as my disciples, don't jump into this decision lightly count the cost first, consider the implications, and he gives them a couple of metaphors. The first metaphor is a building metaphor, verses 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. A good builder. We all love Paul Galloway in here. Where's Paul? There you are. Does so, so much for us. But a good builder will count the cost of the tools and equipment he needs before he builds. He will count the cost of the materials. He will count the cost of the labor required. And if he's a wise builder, he'll probably add some contingency costs in there because things oftentimes happen on the unexpected. Only then, And on the basis of that final figure, does he agree to go ahead and build? Because he's weighed the cost. He knows he's got the finances, he goes ahead and build. Jesus is telling those journeying with him this day, you now know the final cost. What's the final cost? I'm calling you to deny yourself. I'm calling you to carry a cross. I'm calling you to die for me, with me. Are you still willing to be my disciples? Big challenge for all of us. That's the call to give up our lives for His calling, His leading on our lives. The second is a war metaphor. So the first one was a building metaphor. The second one is a war metaphor. Verse 31, Or suppose a king about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. I think Jesus was really wise here in using uh, this metaphor, a war metaphor, because it not only encourages us, encouraged the king, he talked about the king counting the cost before he goes to war, but perhaps one other aspect to that, it encourages encourages us to consider the conflict. Because you know, when we become a Christian, when we invite Christ into our lives. He wants to change our lives. He wants to transform our lives and as our lives are transformed and changed, it's going to bring us into conflict at times with the world. We all probably face that. Those of us that have been Christians a long time, we know the difficulties, we know the trials, we know the tribulations that are faced. Why? Because now that we are disciples of Christ, we will stand for things that the rest of the world will not stand for and we will stand against things that the rest of the world will not stand against. And so it will cause us to come into conflict at times. Are we willing to consider that conflict and count the cost there? Jesus Himself said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. But you know what? He ends that verse with a great, great promise. I have overcome the world. So even as we live through those difficulties, those, those trials, he is with us and He has overcome. He is that help that will bring us through. So a disciple should, before making that commitment, count the cost, consider the conflict. It's an important part of being a disciple. You know, it's interesting. In John, we read of Jesus having many disciples. Many disciples would follow him and travel with him as he was going around. Yes, he had that close intimate group of 12, but he also had a number in other passages we read of Jesus sending out 70 people into mission. So he obviously had many other disciples that uh, represented more than just the 12. But in John six sixty six, we read this really sad story of many leaving him. On this particular passage in John 6, 66, Jesus had just given a particularly hard teaching, particularly difficult one that really confronted them. In verse 66 says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. At that same occasion Jesus even asked his twelve disciples if they too wanted to leave, but they chose to stay and follow they said you have the words of eternal life we believe and know that you are the holy one of god though they knew what was before them though they knew the difficulty of the the teaching though they knew the difficulty of following jesus though they knew the cost they were still willing to follow why did so many turn away it was because They were not willing to follow. They were not willing to count the cost. It was a road that we talked about last week. Remember that narrow road, that narrow road can be very difficult at times and they weren't willing to count the cost. Why should we count the cost? Why should we consider the conflict as disciples of Christ? Verse 33, sorry, verse 34 at the end. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil I like that. It's, ne- it's, it's well. This is a big challenge for us, isn't it? It's neither fit for the soil, nor is it fit for the manure pile. Wow. Salt that's lost its saltiness is neither fit for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You see, Jesus wants you and I as His disciples to be salt in this world. What does salt do? Salt adds flavor. Salt has a very distinctive flavor. You know when you've got salt on something. We were out last night, we enjoyed some salt and pepper chips. You can tell when chips don't have salt on them, can't you? You just can. Salt is such a distinctive flavor. And Christ calls each one of us as His disciples to be that distinctive flavor of Him in our world. Salt preserves, salt keeps. In the olden days before refrigeration, what did they used to do with the meats after they killed a the deer or whatever? They used to salt it because it preserved that which was good in it, and it helped it to endure. Salt also heals. I remember one time playing at the beach and I got this big gash in my shin running over some caravan trailer or something like that. Do you know what my mum said? Go down to the beach, just wade in the salt sea for a while. Salt has this wonderful healing propensity to it, healing property to it. Folks, Christ wants you and I as His disciples to be ones that are salts in this world. He doesn't want us to lose our flavor. He wants us to preserve and hold on to that which is good. He wants us to be of that presence of bringing the aroma and the flavor of Christ. As we talked about the aroma of Christ, it can bring uh, be the agent of, of healing, of, of miracles, of Him touching lives. But if we lose our saltiness, we've lost all purpose. Folks, the call to discipleship is a big one. And it's one that we must all take seriously, and it's one that should be a challenge for each one of us. God loves us all, but He calls us to a very distinctive lifestyle. As I close and the band come up, this ministry today I know has is, is been a real challenge. You can't read those words there of Luke 14 and not be challenged. We just can't it's a challenge for all of us it should challenge us really to the core if you're a Christian this morning and declare yourself to be a disciple do you understand that there are some conditions you're in a covenant relationship just an I'm in a covenant relationship with Debbie there are some things I can do and will do there are some things I will not do so it is with Christ there are conditions We need to be reminded of that continually. Is He your first love? Is He the first in your affections? Is He your greatest priority of life? That in the big decisions of life, in the important decisions of life, in the things that you devote your life to, all of those things are filtered through seeking His will, seeking His purpose, seeking His desires for your life. Not me coming to God and saying, God, this is what I want. But actually me coming before Christ and yielding myself before him and saying, along with Jesus, what would you have me do? Perhaps you are not a Christian this morning. But you're perhaps contemplating faith. You're perhaps contemplating Christianity. You've, you've come along to Alpha. You've perhaps been in talking to people. Can I just encourage you? that this message is a big challenge for you. And the challenge that Christ would, would give today is this, weigh up your intention seriously. Don't make a decision like this lightly. Why? Because Christ demands your whole life. He wants to transform your life, your whole life, not just certain parts of your life, your whole life. He died for you, therefore would you be willing in exchange to give up everything for him, holding nothing back. Can I remind us again the words of Jesus in Luke 9, 24. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. Church today the call to follow Christ is a big one it's an important one it's not a call to say Christ be my Lord and Savior and then go live how you want to it's a call to give up your life that will mean different things for each one of us as we've been sharing today there'll be some of you that will be touched in very different ways to what others will, but I just want to encourage us wherever we're at, are we we that disciple of Christ, maybe we've blown it, that's where God's unconditional love comes in and just says listen, you might have blown it but I still love you, get back on track. Maybe you're not in that place yet, you've not decided to be a follower of Christ, can I encourage you, weigh that decision up seriously. But listen if you get to that point where you say yes I'm willing to be Christ's disciple it will cost your life but as we've just read there the ultimate goal the ultimate gain is eternal life in heaven it's eternity in heaven is that not worth giving up some momentary pleasures on this earth for 80 years to gain eternity in heaven I think that's a great deal I think that's a great exchange. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you that, Lord, your call to discipleship is not unconditional. Lord, you do call us into covenant with you. And we must make some vows and promises. Lord, when we fail, I just say thank You that You're that loving God that lavishes love back upon us says, come back, get right with me, no matter how times we mess up. But Lord, I just pray that for each one of us here, that we would say first and foremost that Christ, You are our preeminent love. You are the one that we put first above all affections. And that Christ, You are preeminent in our lives. That in whatever we're doing, in our secular world, in our hobbies, in our leisure, in our ministries, whatever it might be, that in all of those things, we put you first as well. Father, help us to live up to that challenge in the core of being your disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we worship.